Greetings, friends and comrades. This is the Highlands Bunker Podcast. Our neighborhood took a big hit today. Alex Ciani, uh, our friend and recent guest, shuttered both cafes and the commercial bakery he was opening. Uh, he was operating, excuse me, with his wife Gretchen. Uh, Delacour is no more. Opening back up as uh, it would have needed to be done would not have saved his business, um, just like PPP couldn't save it. Opening back up is a political slogan. There are people whose political identity are very closely attuned to threats to their, quote, liberty, unquote. The sleight of hand here is the ability to strategically pivot in the application of the threat. There's been a long war on Christmas, for instance. Uh, racial slurs are no longer socially acceptable in public conversation, but this too has created a market for grifter victimhood, the war on free speech. Now the threat is the ability to be served. Convenience is the grave danger, is in grave danger. Our plague has encouraged uh, other political statements as well. Amazon workers are walking out to cast light on unsafe work conditions. Of course, this threatens the ability to have a new beach chair delivered tomorrow. McDonald's workers are walking out to demonstrate against poor wages and poor treatment, all while threatening the ability to get some DoorDash nuggets. Uh, don't worry about DoorDash, though. They're all contractors. If you ask to speak to their manager, uh, their manager is their phone. Uh, it is one of the only gigs available now, essentially. So this evening, we're going to proceed with an experiment in Gonzo podcasting. From here... Deep undercover, mere steps from Rockford Tower in Highlands Bunker. I, R.E. Vanella, will not speak with Governor John Carney. I will speak over the internet remotely with an actual trained professional who indeed has spoken with Governor Carney on many occasions quite recently. She will tell us what is happening. Intermittently, I may comment as I personally was speaking with Carney, who I do not admire. This will be done for entertainment purposes and also to bring you all a little bit of news. Carl, in a location I cannot name for security reasons, will be monitoring and recording, etc. So, our guest this evening is Meredith Newman. Meredith covers public health for the News Journal. She is also a health journalism fellow for the Center for Journalism at the Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism at the University of Southern California. Meredith, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, I should know, I'm actually not a USC fellow, um, but unless you know something that I don't. <laughs> really? Yes. Huh. Could I have gotten my wires crossed in that some, somehow? Have you ever been associated with the University of Southern California journalism? No, school? I admire it greatly, though. And it has a great, that program is great. So I wish I huh. was, but <laughs> just. You know, in the, spirit, in the spirit of gonzo journalism, it just came off the fucking internet. What do I know? <laughs> I don't know anything. So to start off, I'm always like fascinated by people's backgrounds and sort of um, where they grew up and how it might have like sort of inspired them to take the kind of work that they do or how it might not have. Um, so, yeah, um, where are you from? How did you grow up? What was it like? So, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Of um, course, of course. I, I grew up outside of Chicago um, in Evanston, Illinois, which a lot of people might know where Northwestern is located and just in terms of like how I got into journalism, I, I, my parents are very much news readers. And so I always grew up with newspapers around and then watching the nightly news. And it was just very much part of just my day-to-day -day lifestyle growing up. And then in high school, I kind of got bit by the journalism bug and was kind of the typical newspaper nerd. And then I became a college newspaper nerd. I went to Syracuse University and just really fell in love with the idea of just like giving news to people and, you know, investigating things and um, finding out secrets and telling the public about them um, was just something I fell in love with. 
So this was your calling. This is a uh, this is a true uh, sort of vocation. I think so. I I know some people call it a calling. I just for me, it's like there's nothing I would rather do as a job. Um, I'm a very nosing person, and I love gossip like every other reporter. So it just you know, it's there's like an adage that like it beats working, and it that's kind of how I feel with it. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, uh, we're actually trying to. Uh, to- to sort of dip our toe in that water ourselves because, yeah, it's a little bit of a rush um, to be able to, uh, you know, get the information out and, and put the context around it and, uh, yeah, and get secrets. I was very proud of your colleague and my friend uh, Lex over the past couple of days because he was he was able to get some secrets, uh, dropped a bomb on the, on the Department of Corrections, um, and that kind of stuff is really um, – it's exhilarating. So yeah, I really understand that. For real. Yeah, and important. Like I think that whole Vaughn package about the 2017 uh, uprising and and the killing of a prison guard. It was just so just all of it was so visually stunning, um, and just really shine light on things that people didn't know about, or even just take them into the scene of where it happened. Like the photos were unreal so i'd encourage everyone to check it out because it was a great piece of journalism yeah i shared it with um you know some some friends of of our lex and i and my wife and i in the neighborhood who you know follow the, the news sort of um casually um but when they saw that particular piece because if i said they know lex uh they were really just talking about where the photos came from and getting the information about um some of the uh, we'll say the whistles that were, might have been blown beforehand. It was really, um, it's really great stuff. Subscribe to the news journal, everybody. Yeah, subscribe. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, health reporter, COVID quarantine. Um, yeah, I mean, you must be like, um, you, you must be like working twenty four seven. What's it been like? It's been a lot. It's it's been a lot for everyone. So I, I can't take credit for doing all of it because all of the reporters and photographers have just really done a fantastic job. Um, it's exhausting though. I mean, it's really hard keeping up with the changes that are happening every single day at both the state level and the federal level. Um, but then also finding the human stories and kind of parsing through that in a respectful, but also important um, journalistic way. Um, so yeah, again, it's I definitely have Groundhog Day syndrome, and um, you can't. The thing is, the hardest thing is that I want to write every story at this moment, and I can't. So it's been hard to prioritize stories and put certain stories on the back burner and get around to them eventually because there's just so much news that you really just have to prioritize at the moment, which is hard. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, the whole thing is um, is quite strange. I mean, just not having a lot of you know face-to-face contact and the one and the face-to-face contact you do have is very controlled or uh, as nurse susan said it's very harried you know you go to the the grocery store or you go and you try to cover something but it's uh you know it's very nerve-wracking almost Um, yeah and, and to think about like how much has changed like the first case was confirmed march 11th and it feels like five years ago and to think that the, like I we're all working from home now and certain things are closed now we're in the process of opening it back up it just it's a total whirlwind uh, it feels very much like a before and after moment like I totally remember everything about March 11th um, in certain ways yeah so that uh, raises uh, an interesting point you were talking about telling sort of people's stories and the story of reopening in some fashion so you covered the uh, the demonstration at the beach l- last weekend. So today is the uh, what is today the twenty first of May? Yeah, I think so. So that would have been the week before. So just to give everybody, that would be the sort of the first large demonstration um, in Rehoboth. Um, before we get into some details and some commentary about it, like. What was your impressions of it? Um, you know, I, I read the article about it, obviously, and you know, you you actually, you know, you bring it up um, with Carney at the last. I guess it was the last conversation you guys had, and he had some thoughts about it that we can talk about. But what was your, what was just your general sort of take of it? 
um, when you took it in and reported on it? Well, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I actually was just assigned to work that Saturday shift, um, and that was something that we knew was going on. Um, I had seen the coverage from the protests that were in uh, Dover and the one that was in Wilmington. And so I had an idea of what to expect, but I wasn't really sure how many people were going to show up. And also the thing about the beaches is that at that point last Saturday, Carney had already announced that they were going to uh, kind of fully reopen uh, on the 22nd, uh, which is tomorrow at 5 p.m., I believe. And also the beaches were like semi-open in the way that people could exercise and like walk their dogs. So it wasn't like it was totally black and white in terms of being fully open or fully closed. So I, I wasn't really sure what the dynamic was going to be and if they were actually going to like storm the beach. Um, but yeah, I drove down there. I think I got there around 11 or so. It was set to start at noon. And in some ways it felt like the coronavirus like didn't really exist because I you know I saw people biking with you know shorts and flip-flops without wearing masks and um people were walking up and down Hopeth Avenue people who would later you know be a part of the demonstration and those who were just walking by it wasn't like one group or the other um I was able to find a parking spot super quickly so that I guess is a sign of the coronavirus because I feel like it would have been much busier on a beautiful Saturday um but yeah, and then around noon or so, people started congregating um, at the bandstand, and there were signs, and it lasted two hours. It was significantly longer than I, I thought it was going to be. Um, I would say at the height, it was around like 100-ish, 150 people, um, but kind of at the beginning and at the tail end, I would say like a couple dozen to 50 people. Um, so there was a good group at one period of time, um, and then at the very end, um, about a handful of people or so walked, you know, across the boardwalk to the beach and just kind of like hung out there for a couple minutes, you know, to kind of make their point, and then were on their way. Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, and obviously I, I said it directly in the intro. Uh, I'm really interested in the in the fact that. You know, there are really two stories about all of this, and I followed the um, the protest in Dover a few weeks ago as well, and, uh, you know, I'm friends with Jerry, and so we were talking on the side because he took a bunch of photos and kind of got into it and you know, to see what was going on down there. And, you know, when you, when you turn up um, with explicitly political flags... Uh, or you turn up with with firearms, um, or or whatever. It's a it's a political statement, and so you have to look at it in that context. And I feel like maybe sometimes that gets, uh, maybe doesn't that context doesn't come through all of the time. Um, certainly, it does with the photos, but I feel like people are almost sort of uh, numb to that. You know, they see the gun, they see the the political placard, and they're like, yeah, that's what they do, but. It really, it really sheds light on what's happening. Actually, it's not really about public health or jobs. They're making a, a different kind of statement. I think I, I don't know what you saw that might sort of support that, or what your what your sort of observations were around that idea. Yeah, I think I there, I didn't see any guns um, at the Rehoboth demonstration. Um, I did see the photos from Dover. So again, that kind of going back to like I wasn't sure what to expect. Right. Um, in terms of just what was said, there was definitely more of a focus on um, personal freedoms and um, you know civil liberties and you know the rights that people have. Um, again, I would assume that would just stem from the fact that the governor had already unveiled aspects of reopening. I would I would assume, um, but a lot of the 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 conversations for similar people um, were really frustrated and angry. And um, some people said things that have been disputed by science um, in terms of the coronavirus. Can you give an example? Um, like, uh, so what, I guess not even an example, well, definitely an example of maybe what some disputed things that were mentioned, but just the, 
based on what was said or what the message was, the source of the anger. You said people came and they were angry um, about you know their their freedom or their liberty or whatever. But was there a specific thing that they said this particular thing is infringing on this particular right? And this is my demand. Like, where, where, what was the source of the anger? I think it was just the role of government in their lives. And they did not believe that the government has a right to tell them to wear a mask or to not go to a certain restaurant or to close down their business. Um, I think it, it, it was very ideological in that sense of, I believe, in America, the government should do should, should should act a certain way and right now i feel like it's not doing that um in terms of i i can't recall again a symptom of groundhog day i can't recall recall yeah. uh, specific things but I, I will say um it was i think the context in which they spoke about the virus public health officials would severely disagree with in terms of the severity and the impact that it has and the role of social distancing and how uh, social distancing um, and wearing a mask can help stop the spread of the infection. Yeah, I guess that's the, the sort of the dangerous part is all of that comes with it. Like if you have to sort of if you if you're looking at this narrative that this is the this is the front lines to government overreach into the liberties, whatever that means, like that's still not really. Um, you know, it's not really a clear picture of what you think, but let's just go with that since that's what you said. If that's if that's what it is, you need a lot of different stories and sort of narratives to go along with that, that, you know, the news has to be sort of fake or skewed. Um, what you know about, you know, the where the virus came from has to be can't be right. Um, so you have to impute into that. Uh, story that you're telling yourself a lot of things that just are demonstrably false and yeah i mean it, it's not, I, I i struggle to figure out how to confront that that kind of stuff um because again i as i said in the intro i i, I there is a, there's definitely a a lot of critique of both the government and the system that put us in this position and people have a right to be very upset um, but the thing they should be upset about doesn't seem some vague notion of, you know, your personal liberty to go to the grottos, uh, or, you know, or be served at the, at the, you know, at the bar or, uh, or go to the mall. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's other things that are happening and people don't seem to be able to articulate those. That's my struggle. That's how I struggle with the whole story. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. When you said fake news, it made me think I, again, I can only speak for myself. I haven't really gotten any fake news stuff thrown my way in terms of like reader comments or emails or, or anything like that. So just to throw that out there again, well, that's good. Yeah. anecdotally speaking, but I, I will say, I do feel like it's important to know, um, again, the individuals at this uh, demonstration definitely have certain ideological beliefs for sure. But again, like I will say, just walking up and down Rehoboth, like people weren't social distancing and wearing masks. And I can say the same thing when I walk along the riverfront in Wilmington. Like I would say like a good number of people are still not social distancing or wearing masks. And again, this is just me speaking from a person who is observing the, my surroundings. Um, but I do think it's important to know that it's not just typical. It's obviously extremes and it's a spectrum um, in terms of what people are putting out there in terms of their beliefs, but also their actions. And I will say like, there's still people who, who might believe in the science um, and agree with what the government is doing, but still not following the protocols. So I just feel like it's important for perspective. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that because, you know, my, my neighborhood here in Wilmington is the same. Um, you know, you see a, a, a pretty good amount of adherence to, um, you know, what, what you would say to social distancing masks and everything, but even myself, um, you know, if I just take the dog around the block at six 30 in the morning, you know, I just go. And if I see somebody, I can, maybe I cross the street. So I try, I do try to respect people's distance and I'm not going to like walk right up on them just so they won't walk right up on me. Um, so I do do that. But yeah, I think people are, 
I I actually have a theory about this, and and people are just very tired, and and maybe this maybe this will get us into sort of the the Carney piece of this, and and what you were able to glean from these conversations with Carney. We have no way out of this other than what Carney said. Let me see if I can if I can look at workers need to go back to work. We cannot. He was talking about this balance between economic and 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 life, right? Because we can't, it's, 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 it's outside of our imagination to even think of a way that we can continue without it being sort of like a market-driven economic answer. And so people are just like, well, we, we got to go back out. People kind of, they know that internally because that's how you're conditioned to think that just stuff has to, stores have to open back up. How are we going to live if the stores aren't open up, you know? And, and so they get tired. And they're like, well, I guess we'll just start trying to, you know, and I think at least people that I've interacted with in a neighborhood or at the grocery store are doing their best. But I think without, you know, because that answer, the answer Carney gives to you, and, it, and it's, it's fake, it's a phony answer. Like, he's telling you what we need to do to make sure that the stores open back up and so people can go to church and stuff. And that's fine. He's probably right about that. But the answer that the only thing that's going to get us out of this is we have to get the economy back. That's the balance. Like the economy's on the other side of like people. That's the balance we have to make. That whole dichotomy is extremely um, dangerous. But people can't. It's very difficult for them to imagine outside of that. So they just get um, they just get bored. They just get tired, and they they aren't as um, careful as maybe they should be, or. They just sort of give up because the impact, they never see anybody. They, they know a friend of a friend who might have been sick or their parents might have died or, you know, they know people who are like have been ill that might have died and they're just like, I don't really. So people just get ground down, I think. I mean, I don't know what your what your take on the on the carny bit is or this. this. I mean, this is going to be the story, I think, is. The, the the opening, whatever you want to call it, is this balance, as Carney said, between economic growth and how much we can protect people with, you know, contact tracing and testing and, and whatever. Um, you know, that that was the, that's that's the best it's going to get as far as I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I don't really I can't comment on your beliefs of what you just said. Um, you can comment on my beliefs if you want. Like you could say, I think your beliefs are bad and you're dumb. Well, you I could say I that. Yeah, I well, I don't think that's really my role. Uh, you know, as a as a reporter, my role isn't to say like this is a good thing or a bad thing necessarily. But I can say like in terms of questions that I have going forward, I think a big thing that I will be looking at as the state continues to to open up is what's the data that we see in terms of the percentage of positive cases, the number of confirmed cases, hospitalizations. Um, that's to me, will be a telling piece of data um, as we continue to open up, or I guess as we really start to open up. Um, I think something else that I um, am interested in, in asking questions about and seeing how it unfolds is just the oversight um, something that I asked um, at the press briefing, um, the governor ho hosts two press briefings a week and then does a Facebook Live with us. So sometimes I talk to him three times a week. Um, how lucky, how lucky for you. <laughs> I mean, he, he seems like a guy like he could put he could put a cocaine user to sleep. I okay, mean, it just I'm not gonna like, say, I, I, okay, that's I mean, it's just so boring. I listened to an hour of you talking to him and it's it's. Okay, well, that—that's your belief. I am not going to comment on that I'm, at I'm all. Trying, I'm trying. I'm trying to draw I, you I, in, you and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but what I will say, I, I do think there is some credit in just the access that he's given. Um, I have thirty-minute interviews with him every week, and, and then I ask questions two more times. So I think there is something to say for that. Um, but anyway, what I was saying was at these parents at the most recent press briefing on Tuesday, I asked about just the oversight in regards to businesses and, and, you know, they have these certain guidelines that they need to follow and they'll have like a sticker on their window. It sounds like to show that they're like state approved in terms of the guy or following the guidelines. Um, but I'm curious, like what's the long-term effect of that? Um, 
I'm curious if it will be like restaurant inspections one day. Um, again, who knows what the timeline will be like, but will the state be making sure that people are following, you know, making sure bathrooms are clean, that they have hand sanitizer and, and so forth that they need? Are you to saying have. are you saying that, that we already sort of um we already regulate restaurants where we eat with public health regulations and we infr we already infringe are, are they already infringe on my liberty is what you're saying. There's already an infringement on my liberty. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to fucking. I, I'm shot out of a cannon today. <laughs> Clearly. But, but um, so, uh, so they they are going to be issuing sort of like um, as you see in New York, for example, the A rating. Like the state says that they're following whether it's social distancing inside, um, sanitation, uh, 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 you know, things inside, uh, in the kitchen, whatever. So they're going to be on top of it like that. Well, it's not necessarily like that. That was more of a question. I, I wonder if, that, if it will look like that one day. Um, and I, I think they're still figuring it out. But they do have guidelines for businesses to reopen. And obviously, if uh, you know, a customer doesn't feel like the business is following it, they can file a complaint um, with the state. Um, again, unclear what the ramifications will be. Um, but again, those are kind of like the long-term questions that I have, um, you know, as we begin to reopen um, and, and make sure that, you know, when there, if there is a second wave of the coronavirus, what happens then? What do we have in place? What do we not have in place? Yeah, I did notice you asked him that and, and you know, he, he sort of dodged it uh, in the sense that I guess... So the the illusion was that whatever happens three to six months from now, which would be about when it would be like September, October time, based on the science, um, we'll just know more and we'll have more things in place and uh, et cetera. But it was very it was very vague. Um, what is your did you get? Have you had any more of a sort of a picture of what what that will I mean? Again, most likely we're going to have a second wave of some sort, um, whether it's big, whether it's early, whether it's whatever it is. I mean, something will likely happen based on what the doctors say. And so the answers that you're getting seem very um, yeah, vague, I would say, like just like we'll just know more and we'll be good. Don't you know? Yeah, we know it's coming, but don't worry about it. Is that what? What other? What other sort of? Um, well, I, what, I, what feeling do you have about it? I, I think there's just a lot of unknown, and I, I think people just don't know what the next six months is going to look like. Um, so I, I think that's where the vagueness is coming from. Um, again, I think as the weeks come, you know, in terms of reopening. Um, I have to imagine the state will be doing a lot of uh, analysis on what worked and what didn't. Obviously, testing, I'm sure, will be a huge uh, factor going forward. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I, you know, it, it, it. I really don't know what to say. I think, you know. Yeah, it's fair, well, too. Well. It's fair, too, because, you know, in the conversations I'm having with people, the fact of the matter is, and I even give it to Carney in some, in some fashion here, is that, we really don't know a lot. Um, you know, it seems like we're safer outside anyway, just because, you know, you're not enclosed. It's just air. Um, it seems like, you know, that would probably be fine. It seems like, you know, maybe younger people won't get sick or kids won't get sick. But it also seems like you could. There's kids getting sort of weird symptoms for this uh, uh Kowalski type of thing or whatever it is or Kawasaki type of thing but we don't know really know what that is people are losing their sense of smell and hearing we don't know what that is so there's a lot of unknowns and I, I do appreciate that like we can't really say what the hell we're going to do really yeah and I think over promising would also be just as irresponsible you know uh, yeah, that's fair so I think for, again as my role as a reporter is just like asking questions but also making sure that the government is as transparent um, in those decision-making processes and the data that they have. So um, that's what I'm thinking about going forward. But again, I think there's just so many unknowns. Um, I mean, we don't even know what, like, the next couple of weeks are going to look like. Like, I think a lot of people are wondering if schools are going to come back in September or August. Yeah. 
know? So I think it's just really, it's too early to say. Yeah, no, it's a fair question. I mean, everybody, I had a friend of mine, uh, we were doing some social distancing in the back garden today, and uh, he's an artist, our neighbor, but he also uh, teaches algebra in middle school. And he's just like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is there going to be a school again? I don't, I don't know. Um, and it, yeah, it really is. There is a lot of unknowns that we're going to have to uh, sort of deal with. Um, that that's actually um, interestingly, that's one of the places where I agree with Carney, is that people need to start sort of uh, being able to reckon with the idea that there's not going to be like a normal, like a lot of things are going to close. There's the impact. The impact of this, of you know, saving people's lives and trying to get something contained, is going to be really harsh. Again, I think it's going to be harsh because the way we look at the problem is like an either or, like it's like a, a binary choice, which I don't, I reject. But the fact of the matter is that material conditions are going to be such that this, the impact of this, is going to be ex- extremely more severe than I think people are ready to sort of realize. And I and I I was interested that Carney sort of said something like that. Like you have to, he said it in the context of like having to wear a mask or having to like, um, having to interact with people in a different way. But even further than that, I think people are going to have to start reckoning with this idea that yeah, it's going to be different for a while, so we can do these things. And and I don't know whether. You know, that's why some of these protests make me feel kind of negative or even just seeing people in the neighborhood that aren't following the the, the, the smallest amount of sort of uh, cautionary measures. Um, so I wonder what your feeling is about that, about um, the, the folks you're covering, trying to impart to people that things are going to be much different and trying to get them to understand that. And then the feeling of people not understanding it different and trying- analogy of like the dimmer switch where it's like it's not on and off but it's gradual which i think uh, i've just heard it a million times but i think that is probably an accurate um assessment um yeah i i mean i can it's just such a big issue like i don't even know where to begin but i think on a personal note like i feel like interactions that we have personal interactions are going to be entirely different um again like i was saying before like i definitely think there's like a before and after moment in terms of the coronavirus and the impact that it will have um and just in terms of like hanging out with people or shaking hands or i mean carney mentioned something about like politicians running for re-election like what does that look like how do campaign events happen like i just think like the coronavirus touches every aspect of life here in delaware and across the country and in terms of people not, um, I guess, like, so that in, I, I can't really speak to that. Um, I think there is likely fatigue, like you were mentioning yeah. before. I think people are really tired. And I think social distancing is really hard. Um, you know, as someone who is single and lives by herself, like, it, Zoom chats are great with family and friends, but there's nothing like personal human interaction so it's just a really difficult time um and also obviously with unemployment rates being at historic levels here in delaware but also nationally that also is very much a before and after in terms of just you know the financial stability of people's lives yeah it's going to be um it's a it's a it's going to be a very strange transition and we know so little about it yeah it'll be I mean, I guess it is what it is. We're all doing it one way or the other. Like taking it day by day, again, just for me personally, um, and and see what unfolds, which is for control freaks like me, like the worst case scenario. <laughs> but so the one of the other things I want to get into for sure uh, is, and I don't know if you can see it behind my head. I have it. There's no video. We don't record video, but it is right there. It's a uh, the Delaware News Guild. Um, I think since the last time I spoke with Natalia, I, I believe the uh, the NLRB has given you guys a, 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 a remote vote or some sort of vote. Can you give us an update on what's happening with the guild and what the timeline is and uh, just what the, what the spirit is with the brothers and sisters in the uh, soon-to-be-recognized uh, 
force by by vote or by not uh delaware news guild sure um so yeah there have been a number of developments so um we went public in early march again which feels like forever ago i think it's 80 days um and we were supposed to have an election in mid-march but then the coronavirus happened and life kind of went upside down so that meant our election was at a standstill and the company didn't want to do a mail-in ballot and actually uh, the nlrb has um regional boards throughout the country and our regional board wasn't having hearings at the time so we were kind of in the standstill so just to update people um, we do have a mail-in ballot there was a hearing the nlrb ruled in our favor and the company um, signed on to do a mail-in election so that's happening soon um i always forget the dates <laughs> so i don't want to give you anything but it's i believe we're getting our ballots at the end of uh, May, so very soon, and then there's like a six-week time period, and then the votes will be uh, counted in mid-July. Um, real dates exist. My brain just isn't working, um, but that's very exciting because, you know, like I'm sure people have heard on here, we just want to support local journalism in here in Delaware, and that's the goal with this union, um, to have a seat at the bargaining table. Um, and something really cool that's also been a development, I'm not sure if, uh, I can't remember if you and Natalia talked about it, but we've been working with other Gannett guilds um, who are in very similar positions. So we've been teaming up with the Palm Beach Post um, Guild and the Southwest Florida Guild, um, multiple Florida papers um, that also were at a standstill in terms of um, their election. So it's been really great to like work with other papers on this. Um, and it's really exciting and again, like I, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we support uh, everything you're doing. Um, you know, we try to support. I mean, again, we talked about Lex before. We talked about the stuff that you're doing and getting. You know, trying to hold um, the governor personally and the administration accountable for some transparency in this time. So yeah, I mean, we support everything that you're doing. Um, I know you guys have gone through like rolling furloughs and working from home. And I said, I I I, I often. You mentioned it yourself, and I, I often think about, you know, um, some of the folks, my friends who are journalists here who came from other places, um, and I can think of, you know, tons off the top of my head, who now are sort of like, you know, stuck here doing important work from their place, and they're sort of like a little bit, uh, a little bit out there by themselves, you know, and uh, a lot of people are like that, and and. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope that some organizing at work um, is able to get you guys a little more um, respect and a little like a seat at the bargaining table, and you feel like the work is being uh, recognized rather than exploited. I guess is the way I would put it. Yeah, I think for us, um, you know, there is no silver bullet, unfortunately, um, unless everyone in the world subscribed to their local paper. Um, so I, I don't think any of us are naive in the sense that once we become an official union, everything's going to get better and it's going to be um, rainbows and sunshine all the time. No, it's going to be difficult. But um, the whole hope is to, like we were saying, like have a seat at the table, have a stronger voice as a unit, um, and really fight to protect local journalism um, because, you know, it's not easy. It's not an easy profession, but I can speak for a lot of us. Like there's nothing we would rather do. Um, and so, yeah. And I would encourage anyone who doesn't really know what to do as they see, you know, it's not just Gannett papers, it's papers and magazines and media across the country. Like the Atlantic had really devastating layoffs today. Um, so I would just encourage everyone to subscribe to journalism, subscribe to their local papers, to their hometown paper um, because investing in journalism makes a difference and it sounds cheesy but it really does no i i mean i i absolutely agree with you and i i feel bad that um that the atlantic had layoffs today because there are writers but you know don't subscribe to the atlantic uh, absolutely don't um definitely subscribe to the news journal absolutely do you can also subscribe uh at patreon.com slash the highlands bunker to the highlands bunker podcast this will not only help the work that we're doing but it will also help some of the work that we're going to be doing um 
uh, to to enter ourselves into the uh, the journalism sort of zeitgeist here uh, in, in Delaware. I mean, we need people who are talking to John Carney face to face or screen to screen. We also exactly over the internet. We also need people who do not admire John Carney and who. I don't know who these people are, but maybe they'll look at some of these stories and they'll put them in a perspective that says something like, you know, the equation between public health and the economy is actually false and we don't buy it and we don't like it and you suck. And so there's there's room for everybody. So subscribe to the News Journal and, and consider a patronage to the Highlands Bunker podcast. You see how I worked that uh, plug in there? Totally. And I'll also just plug that, you know, reporters are just straight down in the middle of that. <laughs> that I mean, there are not that. I mean, here's the thing. Let's talk about this. This is good. Let's go off on a fucking tangent because I'm, I'm, I'm ready. <clears throat> in my opinion, and you mentioned this before, so I'll, I'll use, I'll use this concept, but I'll, I'll use a few concepts, but this is an important one. This concept of access, access, right? So you're able to speak to Carney a couple times a week and then one-on-one um, and you're, that's your, your access and your availability to be able to ask these questions so he can. So there's some accountability about what's being reported and what are the, what's the data behind what decisions he's making. Absolutely important. No question about it. However, in exchange for that access, I would argue that the real journalists in this area, a lot of the people at News Journal being a lot of them, are unable to are unable to provide context that would be helpful for, for people to understand these stories. Now, as Chomsky would say, some people are able to slip them in. Uh, Carl Baker may or may not be a person who is able to do this, uh, but like. That's the issue, and this is not a, a criticism of an individual person. Uh, it's more of a critique of, like, for the job that you're doing, the access has a price to it. Do you... I don't that, really agree with that. Okay, so d disagree. Tell me your... And then I'll go to the next thing, but disagree first. I mean, I, I don't know if I understand the price that you're trying to say. Um... Can you elaborate on that before? Before I Yes. Yeah, so my position would be, and people who think like me would, would say something like, you're framing the, the, the idea of reopening in phases, you're framing as uh, either a full isolation shutdown or something that sort of allows the economy to start to pick back up so we can get everything going again and that's sort of the equation that he puts out would you would you agree that that's sort of what he says yeah more, more or less hand in hand yeah i can't i don't want to i don't speak for him so um, no yeah and i'm just sort of asking what like what the message is what the public yeah, he, message he uses is. like this phrase of like you need a healthy economy a healthy community for a healthy economy and kind of that right 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 and and he made a comment about um you know Workers need to get back to work. I think he said exactly that in, in, in the context of like, we all need to get back out and the stores have to open and workers need to get back to work. I think there's an argument to be made that actually that's not true. Actually, um, the, we, could, we could decide that, you know, opening the mall... Um, isn't like the that's not the end of the equation like getting people back to work um, you know at this place or that place isn't actually the answer to the problem that we're facing I think that's an important piece of context but I think that if you pushed on that question you would not have access to the governor number one and I all and I also think that, um. Well, let me just leave it there, and I'll let you address. Yeah, the, okay. I'll let you address the access question. Okay. I'll let you address the access. Yeah, I I have 
would like to say that I have asked the governor a lot of hard questions at the press briefings and at um, on these Facebook lives and the access has not changed. So I, I don't subscribe to that stance at all. There is a lot in the journalism world of, of the idea about access journalism. Um, but, but for me, the whole point is people have a lot of questions and people are really scared. And I subscribe to the idea that knowledge is power. So the more that I can ask um, the governor questions, um, people can get that information and make their own opinions out of it. And I think just to your point of um, your example of like the mall and stuff, I think my role as a reporter is to not have a stance on whether Delaware should open or not, but it's to ask the governor questions and then also put that in context. So again, we're going to go with this mall analogy, but you know, ask him about reopening and then also talk to others who might disagree and, and use data and studies and information to say like, you know, other states, not a good idea. So I think it's, it's all about how you contextualize things and the other voices that you talk to. Um, but I don't believe that, you know, asking questions that the governor might not like to hear would, would affect the access because it hasn't. No, I agree with uh, uh, I agree with that for two reasons. Number one is you certainly have asked hard questions. There's no question about that. And I don't think asking those hard questions would um, would affect your access. I'm actually going a, a like a step further and saying that the questions need to be in a particular context. Certain things aren't questioned about how he's making decisions. Now the, the 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 data making sure that that's accurate or making sure that this is weighed and that is weighed, but it's always within the context that is prescribed by the governor, basically, or or, or that group. Um, like, and 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 this the second part of of it would be that, as you said before, you know, your role is to be down the middle. However. That's sort of like uh, you have to suspend disbelief. Like myself as a reader, I have to believe that Meredith Newman has no opinion about this story and read this as if she's telling me this, that she has no opinion. But like obviously every human being knows that that's not true. So we can suspend, suspend disbelief in some fashion and, and you can try your best to, 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 to follow this sort of profess, professional guideline or we can say, actually, I do have an idea. I, I mean, you can tell me what you think, uh, but like, you know, it can it actually can, could be done in a different way. And again, it's just the narrow confines of the the argument um, are already set. I guess that's the the, the point that I'm making. I I, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. No. I I I see what you're saying. I guess from my point of view, um, of course, everyone has opinions on things, um, but as a role of a reporter, I can't let my personal feelings dictate a story. Um, and, and so I would argue, you know, um, in terms of context, I, I see what you're saying. And I would use the example of when I was at the beach, I did see a lot of stuff that I was like, what? And then I asked him about it. So um, I, I think there's a, there's a place for that. Of course. Um, it's also like we're wading into really like complex journalism ethics issues that's what i'm trying to do we're not wait we're not waiting in it we're out in the middle of, i'm trying to People i'm pushing us out in the middle of it literature all about this and it's really complex issues but um for me it's just about you know talking to as many people as I can to get met as many different perspectives going out there seeing what's going on then asking those in power about those decisions keeping them accountable um, but also just being fair in my reporting um and 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 making both sure both sides are heard of course in some stories it's never 50 50 but for you know a fair portrayal and telling the truth um that's that's kind of the name of the game well i really appreciate you uh you coming on it was fun Thanks I hope, yeah I, I i was happy to do it i was excited to talk about like the coronavirus coverage and i was excited to talk about like uh local stuff i've had a couple um carl and i have had a couple guests that have been like 
we well one person we talked about their book and one person we talked about like the paper a paper they wrote so like it was kind of i mean it was very fun but like i didn't get to like get all worked up about local shit which is the, like what i like to do um so yeah i dug it i was ve- i was lo- very much looking forward to it and i'm very happy that we did it thank you well, thanks and just tell all of your fans out there to subscribe to DelawareOnline.com. Subscribe to DelawareOnline.com. It's good, folks. There are people out there. It's 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 good. And then and then also uh, Patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. We're Highlands Bunker on Twitter. Um, you know, five dollars a month helps what we're doing. And uh, you know, think about Carl. Carl is is uh, he's producing these shows. He makes them sound good. Uh, if it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't get anything on the internet. And, uh, you know, he's graduating. He's out in the working world. And, you know, this is this is like his job. And so make it good. D- give money to the podcast so we can fucking pay Carl. It's ridiculous. Carl, would you like to make some kind of pitch? Please make a pitch. I think you said it all. I, I said something. That's there's There's actually no question about that. Well, Meredith, thank you once again. Um, I hope to uh, I hope to talk to you again. I, I've I've actually person maybe one day eventually. I know. Well, I will tell you this: uh, every every local person, well, actually every person, but I know like other people aren't coming here. But uh, every local person, I'm inviting back to the studio so they can do like a regular like hangout, and uh, you can have some wine. You can meet Carl in person. You can see the uh, you know the, the the confines here and all the digs. Uh, you, can, you, know, you can smoke weed if you want to. We won't tell anybody. Some people have smoked weed here that I'm, you know, I'm not at liberty to say. I can say for sure on the record that I won't be doing that, but. <laughs> Let's just say on the record, I will say for sure on the record, I wouldn't tell, wouldn't tell anybody if you did. How about that? Sure, but I won't be doing that. <laughs> well, let's just put it this way. We, if it did happen, no one would ever know. We'll just put it. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Uh, Left is best, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.